Mike is going to uh, stand up here. He, he, is, he is one of our uh, guest speakers. And last night, he had a phenomenal lesson for us. And I'm looking forward to hearing that. But uh, to, uh, his biography is on the booklet there. But um, we know that he is the face and the brains behind BibleTalk.tv. He started that website in 2005. And God has used that website, that particular ministry of his, to forward God's um, kingdom uh, in, in everywhere in the whole world. So uh, Mike told me a story about this random guy that emailed him. He gets this, these emails a lot. He has all these letters, and he collects them all. This email that uh, he sent to Mike saying, this, just, this random guy saying, uh, I'm in my mid-40s. I am a contractor in Baghdad, like he's a military contractor there. And while he was waiting for him to be sent somewhere else, he was surfing YouTube and found BibleTalk.tv. So long story short, he had, he had a week to kill before he got sent to this next location. He devoured all of his videos, right? He was seeking for God, and because of that particular ministry, BibleTalk.tv, right, that you can all go to, it's free, you, don't have, you know, you go there, you use it for your congregation, you use it for your own particular, you know, personal um, um, Bible knowledge. And it will help you, like this man from Baghdad, right? And he said at the end of the letter, at the end of the email, that now he and his uh, child, right, are now, are, have now been baptized and are members of uh, a local church of Christ where they are in the States. So thank you for that, Mike. So... With that, I, I ask Mike to please come up and uh, give us our second lesson. There, um, this individual—he didn't—he didn't listen to all of the. There are uh, over a thousand videos. <laughs> On BibleTalk.tv, in addition to uh, uh, devotionals, books, uh, studies, all kinds of things, the the material is divided in such a way there may be four or five hundred sermons. Uh, there are uh, there's a uh, a video series on every book of the New Testament. So if your church or if you as an individual would like to study the Bible and you say, I'm going to start with uh, the New Testament, well, then you start with Matthew. There are, I think, I believe 12 lessons, 12 video lessons. Matthew, you can download the student worksheets and kind of, you know, watch the video and fill out the sheet as you go. Uh, then move on to Mark. I think there's eight lessons in Mark. Then Luke, Acts, there are 26 lessons in that one. Then you can go to John, the 31 lessons, 31 videos, uh, and uh, Romans, and go all the way to the book of Revelation. And that's what he did. He did the whole New Testament in a week. Just, he just, you know, binge-watched for a week. He couldn't have gone through all thousand of the stuff. And we continue to add material. Yes, you go to the, uh, the app store or the app, you know, wherever you buy apps. And there's a Bible Talk app for every device made. We have a technology manager, much like Bill works with, uh, uh, with Keith. Uh, uh, Hal Gatewood is my technology manager. 
And he has created an app for every device. You have a device, we have an app for it. If you're on Android, we have an app for that. You have a tablet, we have an app for that. A phone, uh, we have an app for Alexa. If you, if you want to, you know, access <laughs> Bible Talk, you can do it. So you just go to the app store, you just type in Bible Talk, like it, said, like it says right here, BibleTalk.tv, and it'll pop up. It's free uh, to download and... You can download all of that stuff for free. You can copy it and distribute it for free. <laughs> yeah, we taped over some of the Keith Lancaster old a cappella cassettes. And we, we put the... <laughs> but I'm glad you asked that question. Some people who use it, they use it in, you know, mission areas... Uh, remote areas where there's, never mind, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no electricity. And so we also have Bible Talk Offline. Uh, and uh, what Bible Talk Offline is, uh, is simply a thumb drive that has 250 gigs of memory and the entire website is on one thumb drive. And we could also point you to or purchase for you um, a portable projector that is that fits in my hand that has two Bose mini speakers in it it works on batteries and the battery charger to charge the thing works off of light and so you can go into the field like in, we support people in Africa and they said well in the main building we have electricity and Wi-Fi but out in the field uh, we circuit preached uh, our, our, our missionary in uh, in Kenya Jeffrey Karima uh, he's in Maru, and uh, he circuit preaches for maybe eight or nine small churches, and, you know, uh, he just brings that stuff, and he just plugs it in, and there's the class. Uh, so it's free to use, free to copy, free to distribute. Our goal with BibleTalk.tv, we're searching for those who are searching. I'm not out to debate a Baptist about baptism. Other people do that, and that's fine. We have to teach what the Bible teaches about these things. That's not what I'm trying to do. I came to Christ as an individual. I was searching. I was searching, and not for like two months. Uh, for years, I was searching. And one day, it's too long a story, but one day after I had been on the road for a couple of years, I'm living on my cousin's couch, Proverbial, really. My cousin, I'm living on her couch, looking for a job. And I open up a newspaper. You know these, uh, these newspapers they give away for free at the grocery store? They have coupons inside. and so, Anyways, so I'm looking at this thing because they've got maybe local jobs. And I'm looking for a job. And I see a little article that's only, you know, I see different, different ads. Friday night bingo, St. Mary's Catholic Church. Military whist every Thursday and Friday night at St. George's Presbyterian Church. The Baptist Church, we love folks. And then there was a little ad that was about, well, you know, about one column. And it just went down like this, just one column. And it said, sinners are welcome at the Church of Christ. <laughs> and I looked at that and I said, 
He's talking to me. He was the only one who was saying something that resonated with me. I was a sinner. And that's a long story. I mean, a heavyweight sinner. (laughs) A very bad person. And he spoke to me. And I went to the church. And I listened to what was going on. And my story is not unusual after that. had a Bible study. He baptized me. I was the only one that, heard, that, that responded to that ad. It only appeared one time, and I was the only one who responded to it. And that fellow, I was probably the only one that he ever baptized, that preacher. He wasn't very successful. He couldn't speak French, and he was in Quebec <laughs> uh, back in the 70s. But I've preached through Bible talk to millions of people. And it all started with that one little ad. He was searching for someone who was searching. And my entire ministry, 40 years this year, I have been searching for those like me who are searching. And with technology today, I'm able to search for them all over the world. And as Jay said, thanks for that, Jay, we get letters like that all the time from everywhere, all over the world. But I thought that one was, and I got that one last week, by the way. It's not like 40 years ago. I mean, last week, this guy wrote to me, and and I wrote him back. So we're quite blessed. And if you wish to... uh, support and encourage our ministry then go to the uh, you know go to the app store get the app use it pass it along share it with other people all right there's the commercial <clears throat> the fundamentals of biblical worship the practice of biblical biblical practice, practice of biblical, of biblical worship, worship. <laughs> submission Submit. now, i began this series on biblical worship by explaining the that the essence of worship is communication. Whether in private or at public worship, our goal in worship is to communicate with God. And I also reviewed the various languages that we use to communicate with God. So one of the problems in the church we find it boring sometimes is because those who pray publicly only use one, maybe two languages of prayer, tops. They ask and they thank. They don't lament. They don't confess. They don't praise. They don't use all of the languages. The language of mercy. The language of confirmation. The the language of remembrance. The language of adoration. The language of wonder which I think singing so well expresses the language of wonder. How great thou art. We feel embarrassing saying that as a word, you know, as a prayer. But in song, somehow we we tend to let go a little bit more. and We're able to say, how great thou art, Lord. I was explaining to a brother here that when I do this seminar, without the advantage of, having Keith Lancaster, you know, do the other part, the part that he is doing at the moment, usually I have an exercise. 
for people. You know, exercises. That's a small break up into small groups. And one of the exercises is I want you to get up and make a prayer just of wonder. Nothing else. Just wonder. And you, I want you to get up and I want you to make a prayer of confession. Nothing else. Just a prayer of confession. And so on and so forth. And what the brothers uh, uh, come to understand is that the more languages you know how to speak to God, the wider your conversation with him. Imagine somebody talking to you all the time and all they do is ask. Oh, wait a minute. Those are teenagers. I'm uh, sorry. I wandered into another discussion group. (laughs) Remember that if you're not communicating with God. You're not really worshiping. You're at a worship event, but you're not worshiping. Okay, so we've talked about the essence of worship, which is communication, and the various languages used to communicate with God. But how do you get good at worship? I mean, how do you get good at, you know, singing praises to God while you do what we're doing this weekend? But how do you get good at overall worship? So I go back to my sports analogy. Sports is about competition and winning. You get good at your sport by training and practice and competing often. And your type of training depends on your sport, right? Everybody understands that. For example, I saw a program on TV that showed how an Olympic table tennis champion trains. Not ping pong, table tennis, Olympic level, right? How do they train aside from the, you know, the hitting the ball around? And I learned that they train primarily by skipping rope. And I wondered why. And of course, the guy explained they train by skipping rope because there's a lot of lateral movement, very fast lateral movement in ping pong. And so they practice doing that by skipping rope. So. What then is the practice or the training for worship? How do you improve your communication abilities with God? In a word, submission. Submission is the training for communication with God. This is an easy one to figure out because... The Hebrew and the Greek words translated into the English word worship, for example, in the Hebrew, shaka means to bow down, to prostrate oneself before someone else. And in the Greek, proskuneo means to kiss, actually to kiss forward. You know, when we blow a kiss, in the, Hebrew, in the Greek, that means worship. Or to do reverence or to bow down before. The words gave an image of one who was in submission to and reverence of another one. Usually the other being God. And so the practice of worship, the spirit of worship, the way one actually approaches God for that communication is in a position of submission. You cannot worship God if you're not in submission to God. In answer to the question, how do we improve our worship services? One would reply, learn and practice greater submission to God. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? 
Of course, that's not what men do, is it? That's not what we do. No, in order to improve our worship, we codify our rituals. And we make these the practice of our worship. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, we think the value of our worship is tied to the correctness of our rituals rather than the submission of our wills to God. Of course, this is a normal human phenomenon when it comes to worshiping God and religion in general. We're not the only ones that do that. The Muslims do it. I mean, they have the five pillars of faith which guide their entire religious and worship experience. You know these, the five pillars. First one, pillar number one, the confession. There is no God but Allah. And Muhammad is his prophet. Repeating that over and over and over again. Pillar number two, almsgiving, the zakat, two and a half percent. Pillar number three, prayer, five times a day, facing east, facing Mecca. Pillar number four, fasting, the holy month of Ramadan. And pillar number five, pilgrimage. Once in his life, the Muslim uh, is required to go on pilgrimage or at least pay for someone to go in his uh, place. These practices have become their worship. And yet they're not the only ones that do this. The Sikhs do this. The Sikhs have the same formulas for worship and religious life. The five Ks. Uh, K number one, the Kesh, the long hair and the, 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 the beard. The Kanja, which is the turban. Uh, the Kachra, the shorts or the cotton undergarments. The Kara, the steel uh, bracelet or the Kirpan, which is the small knife. Something about five. The Orthodox Jews, same idea, the yarmulkel, right? The skull cap and the long curly sideburns and the round hats and the long coats and the unusual dress. Every religion tries to codify their rituals or particular dress and focus exclusively on these things to create or even enhance their worship of God. In some instances, we, in the churches of Christ, we do the same thing. We think that um, getting new songbooks, for example, is the way to improve our worship. We're going to improve our worship. We're going to spend 9000 bucks on new books. Nothing wrong with the old books. We're just going to have nice new books. Or we spend money to expand our auditoriums, or we add cry rooms, or we create PowerPoint images. We hire more ministers, or we fire the one that we have, and we add worship teams, and we start clapping, and we get women to pray, and we do all of these things because it's going to improve our worship somehow. You see, what we're doing is we focus on the rituals, the mechanics, rather than the spirit thinking that changes on the outside will create changes on the inside. And yet, we know, the Bible teaches us that change, worship, spiritual things must first take place on the inside before the outside things are affected. Forgive me for water. I need to do this. I want you to listen to the words of someone who actually knew how to worship God in spirit and truth. 
Listen to what he says in Psalm 51, <coughs> excuse me, verse 12. He says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart, O God. There's a guy who knows who God is and who knows who he is. And then in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Doesn't Jesus himself say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? And Paul summarizes perfectly the entire issue of the practice of worship when he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Where's that slide? Have we got it? I adjure you, brethren, by the mercy of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual service of worship? The essence of worship is communication using the language of praise and prayer. But the spiritual exercise, the vehicle that brings our communication before God is our submissive hearts and will. If worship were like a computer, I'll go back to that model. It's like the rituals and the building and the order of worship. This is the hardware. And the language of communication, you know, praise, request, supplication, confession, so on and so forth. This is the software that brings the computer to life. But submission of one's will to God, this is the Internet connection that makes the communication possible. This example may be easy to understand, but not so easy to apply because we are sometimes confused about which part works how. Here are some common, remember first lesson I said common mistakes we make. Okay, this is part two, common mistakes we make. First mistake, we think it's all about the hardware when it comes to worship. Maintain the status quo. Two songs, a prayer, communion, sermon, invitation, song, close, closing prayer, out the door. All the energy is used to maintain the building and the personnel so we can repeat this process once or more times per week. We resist any change based on our belief that we have restored New Testament Christianity by building this hardware with no change that is needed or even permitted. The problem here is we don't understand what biblical worship actually is. And the result, can we talk? The result, dry, lifeless churches dwindling in numbers. Poor spiritual lives. Small faith. Small faith does small things. They do stuff, but they do small stuff. Mistake number two. <clears throat> we think it's all about the software. <laughs> Get rid of the bulky hardware. Let's upgrade to an iPad, an iPhone. Let's do house churches. Let's experiment with other ways to feel about God. Encourage spiritual experimentation. Hey, tongues. Hey, women prophesying in tongues. Why not? It's all about the communication, isn't it? This extreme forgets that communication, worship, with and before God is regulated by Him in His Word. 
not by us. He's the one that gives us the language. He's the one that establishes the significance of the rituals and their forms. He provides the guidelines for how and when we worship and for what purpose we worship. It's all him. This is where submission comes in. Where does it fit in? It fits in right there. For example, in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse, uh, uh, verse 1, and, and I read a different version here just to get a, another sense of this verse. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be your bodies. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So Paul explains that our personal, daily, spiritual worship is expressed mainly in the way we submit our bodies to God in purity and in service and in obedience. I may not have the opportunity or the time to articulate my worship in words to communicate my love and praise to God during the week. However, the actions of my body as I submit to his will in the way that I think, in the way that I act, these are a continual act of worship, true spiritual worship indeed to him and the kind that he's looking for. In this way, my actions and my words form a unified communication that serve as my complete devotion to the Lord each and every day. When Jesus said that God was looking for those who would worship him in spirit and truth, this is what he's talking about. Submission on a daily basis permits one to be in a worship mode constantly. An idea which is much superior to the Muslim concept of daily prayer repeated five times facing east. Sometimes, and I know some of these individuals, they think, yeah, boy, you Christians, you only pray on Sunday. Look at us. We pray five times a day. That's nothing. When I wake up in the morning, and you know how you do, you kind of... You do it when you get to be my age anyways. You, you don't do things quickly in the morning. You, you, you kind of swing your feet over to the side of the bed and sit up and just take stock of the day. You know, I feel around and if there's no silk bunting, it's going to be a good day. <laughs> and so as my feet hit the floor... In the morning, when my alarm gets up, the first thing I do is I pray for someone. I pray for someone that I know, that I've heard of, that I've seen. I just pray for someone. No big, long deal. I just remember someone to set the tone of my day, to set the eyes of my heart away from myself onto others. Then my wife and I pray as we share breakfast together. Then I pray at work with the brethren about our our various uh, projects or our successes. You don't think I didn't pray when I got that guy's letter? What kind of prayer do you think I prayed? I prayed a prayer of wonder. God, you are, man, you are something else. 
And then I prayed a prayer of thanksgiving because on the day that I got that letter, I was uh, the devil was just playing games with me, and I was feeling uh, I can't do it. I'm getting too old, you know. And I don't know. Maybe I should retire. Blah 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 blah. And then this letter pops up. Oh God, you're with me all the time. When I'm way up in the air, you're with me. And then like today, when I'm way down in the crevice in the darkness. You're with me, Lord. God, you're wonderful. I can't ever get away from you. I never want to get away from you. And I pray before lunch, and I pray before supper, and then I do my personal Bible time, and I pray then. And then when I go to bed and I put my head on my pillow, I fall asleep praying to God. I'd rather have that prayer life than five times a day with a carpet. Wouldn't you? Another notion of submission. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, all the way to chapter 15. This is a little more subtle. You need to stay with me here. In 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> Paul explains the necessity for submission in corporate Worship as well as private life. So in Romans 12, he's talking about the need for submission, you know, on a daily basis. That's our personal worship to God ongoing throughout the day. In, in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about corporate worship and the need for submission there. Now, we don't have time to examine each subject that Paul describes here, but obviously there were problems in the corporate or public worship assemblies of the Corinthians, and these included, among others, dress codes, the problem of veils for women, to wear them or not to wear them, the problem of behavior concerning fellowship meals and the Lord's Supper, the value and the practice of spiritual gifts and how to use them in the assembly. These were problems tied to their public and corporate worship that he was trying to resolve. The thread that runs through all of these chapters is that these Christians were not using the gifts or they were not participating in the rituals or they were not dressing in accordance with God's will for these things. So the answer was not, for example, hey, get the women to wear whatever they wanted or bar them from the service altogether. Way too much trouble, the veil business. Let's just say that women aren't allowed to come in anyways. <laughs> or let's do away with fellowship meals and the communion because it causes so much trouble. People, you know, eating and drinking too much. Ah, more trouble than it's worth. Let's just cancel the whole thing. No eating in the building. No communion. Ah, oh, we'll do it once a year to avoid the... Was, was, that, was that the solution? Or perhaps let's restrict tongue speaking or limit the service to one prayer and one teaching per week because the people are fussing with each other over these things. Hey, let's make our rules about worship to solve our problems. No, the answer was to be in submission to God's will for public worship just as one was in submission to his will for private worship. That was the answer. And just as Paul briefly outlined what this meant for our everyday lives in Romans 12, 1 and 2, 
you know, purity, service, devotion. That's the exercise of submission in our personal, uh, non-corporate lives. Paul also promotes the same attitude and response for public worship as well. Because of submission to God's will, which is the true practice of worship, because that's the answer, in Corinth, the women continued in that day to wear their veils in conformity to cultural norms. Basically, the problem was, as free women in Christ, in theory, they no longer had to wear veils to demonstrate their submission to fathers or husbands. They were in Christ and they were submitted to God. However, in practice, to remove their veils in public would be scandalous. In other words, they'd be too far ahead of the cultural curve for that time. So what did they do? They submitted to what was right and proper for the time, choosing not to give offense over their right to express their freedom in Christ. In short, they submitted to do what was right and what made for peace rather than exercise the freedom which they legitimately had in Christ. The common denominator was submission to God's will. On one hand, they didn't contravene a, a, a cultural norm, you know, the veil, so as not to create a scandal. On the other, they submitted to the eternal and spiritual principle of male spiritual leadership in the home and now in the church. So you see two different reasons, one reaction. Two different problems of conflict, one reaction. What reaction was that? Submission. The true spirit of worship by the women of that time. The men also submitted to the order and the process that Paul imposed in order to provide a more uh, uniform uh, assembly. Submission was the antidote to the chaos and the competition that was tearing apart the church in Corinth. I mean, they had great software, speaking in tongues and prophecy. They had knowledge, but they were unable to communicate with God because there was little submission to divine order. And, of course, everyone had to submit to one another in Christian love so that their witness to others would be effective. Jesus said, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples in the way that you love one another, John 13, 35. Note that he didn't say, this is how all men will know that you're my disciples, how you love the lost. Uh, loving the lost is important, but that's not what he said. Or how you love the poor, or how you love the world, but rather how you love one another. That's how all men will know that you're my disciples. You know, the chapter on love, chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians, is really the nuts and bolts of how we are to submit one to another. Mutual submission is the practice of Christian love. It's the proof that we are disciples and our best witness for Christ. Without this kind of submission, there is no worship to God. Why do you think Jesus says, you know, if you have something against your brother, go see your brother, have peace with your brother. Why? Because until you have peace with your brother, you can't communicate with God effectively. And if you know your brother has something against you, then go to him. Put your offering down, he says. You're not in any shape to go worship. You, you need to have peace. 
in order to in order to worship God effectively. Mutual submission is the practice of Christian love. It's the proof that we are disciples and as I said the be- best witness for Christ. And so in avoiding the extremes focusing on the status quo and maintaining the rituals that's one side or dump everything and try to create our own spiritual exercises we need to find the right balance to enhance our communication with God in worship and that balance is an effort at being in submission to his will in both our personal and everyday lives which produces an ongoing spiritual and acceptable worship to God and in submission to God's will in our corporate assemblies as well because God has also revealed the behavior and attitude and practice that he accepts during these times in his famous devotional book entitled my utmost for his highest oswald chambers writes that we as christians become broken bread and poured out wine isn't that a wonderful line the, the, the communion, so many metaphors, so many images that come from that. But we, we're the broken bread. We're the poured out wine. This submission not only elevates our communication uh, to the threshold of heaven, it also brings us to the true blessing, the true blessing of worship, the end game. What exactly are we trying to accomplish? What will we gain if we worship God in spirit and in truth? What we gain is transcendence. And that will be the subject of my next lesson. Transcendence. The end game of worship in spirit and truth. Thank you very much for your attention.